0: It's a rolling start for this podcast, so uh, very casual, and um, yeah, everything people need to know about you uh, at a professional level will be in the description, but with that being said, uh, Sue Izzo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here.
1: Wow, thank you for having me.
0: Of course, it's my pleasure. I thought we would get uh, practical right away, and uh, something that I believe is at the core of that which you teach and do is brand development. And you've talked about developing 360 brands. What does that mean? And yeah, what are the components of a 360 brand?
1: Sure. Um, the components of a 360 brand. I mean, I always start with uh, who you're who you're selling to, right? It all depends, right? Like I think that at the end of the day, people want to relate. You know, they they want to relate to something, right? So when you're building a brand, whether it be a uh, human brand or a business brand, it's thinking about, you know, I always go back to psychographics, right? The wants, needs, desires, and frustrations of humans. And so if we're talking about a human brand, um, it's looking at it of like, are you the underdog? Are you the do-gooder? Are you the consummate professional hardcore athlete? Right. And who can relate to that? Um I really loved when I was a sports agent building those athlete brands and really thinking about what was true to the athlete, but also, you know, who the, who the fan was and which fan was going to relate to that backstory so much. And then when it comes to businesses, it's kind of the same thing, you know, it's, it's, what do we stand for? What do we value? And then how do consumers relate to that? What, what would make them become invested in your product? And it's so much more than just the product, right? It's the story, it's the backstory, it's the why, how they get invested into it to what to then ultimately buy what you're selling um so i really think it starts with the the why of the person i think it starts with origin story and i think it is a big part of your values and i think a lot of that is not just the surface you really got to walk that walk um and so when it comes to building a 360 brand it's not just saying oh we're do-gooders it's like it's like using that and weaving that through every single thing you do that's not only public facing but inside the corporation or company you know itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you've read Simon Sinek and yeah. um start with why. Mm-hmm. What I've found in my career of course and you you've also transitioned from from one career path to a slightly different one but uh in a succession does does the why change? And if so, how do we navigate changing the why when it comes to a personal brand or an organization's brand?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's such a good point. such a good question because I think you have to allow room for it to grow or change and evolve, right? I think um, I've learned that lesson the hard, not the hard way, but I've just learned that lesson in life, right? So it's like, it's okay to change your why or evolve it. Um, you know, I think that, It's, it's, we start off with an ideal of what we need to be or what we are. And then through like experiences or business experiences, we kind of stretch and grow and say, maybe this doesn't fit us anymore. Maybe it's time to, you know, say thank you and gently lay that down and adopt this, this new why. Um, So I think that that's an important, I think that's where you have to kind of keep that space, a little space uh, in your brand. Or in your company to kind of allow for that to happen and know that that's okay, um, and I think just being aware of how you share that public facing um, is important too. Of just say, you know, hey, this 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 is why we're going in a different direction, and this is what we discovered in that process. I think being honest is one of those one of those things. It's not trying to duck and hide and pull the wool over people's eyes. I think it's just at the end of the day, just being honest about your growth um i think everyone's really tired of uh, you know the snow jobs right like uh, we're just going through a time in life right now where people just really want raw and real and ownership um and i think that's the best way to go
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's an interesting point there because we talk about the power of vulnerability and how that's also part of uh developing one's personal brand but can a vulnerability be a liability and how do you navigate vulnerabilities and liabilities when it comes to personal brands applied to business specifically what's your take Uh, on that
1: yeah i think that's another really great question i i've learned lessons the literally the hard way uh by digging in my heels right of being like this is who i am and this is what i believe in and and i think sometimes when we dig in our heels we're not even really Thinking. It's more of an ego thing than it is a, um, you know, I don't know, a growth or an opportunity to grow. Um, I think vulnerability. It's such an interesting question because I think this is where this is where things really go sideways. Um, is this expectation that we're supposed to know it all and be it all and be perfect at it the whole time? Um, God, that is just a joke. You know, it's impossible. It's not even real. Um, and how boring would that be if we had it all figured out on day one? Like, how stupid. Um, and I think that vulnerability it levels a playing field. Um, and it it removes a barrier to entry. Sure, you're going to have those brands that are going to be like, or even, you know, thought leaders that are, I'm going to 10 times your life and blah, blah, Cool. There's there's a group, a consumer group for that. That's rad. And then there's people that are saying, you know what? Like, I think I'm just going to throw out Mel Robbins. I think that she's a perfect example of this. I mean, here's someone who came up with something, five, four, three, two, one out of the gate, huge hit, and then tried to back it up a couple of times and, you know, fell on her face, got the talk show, didn't work out, you know, and she went and she licked her wounds and then she came back and she shared, like that sucked, right? And she probably got more followers and more loyal you know, customers because of that she shared the real journey. I know I respect that. Like, I think it's really hard to relate to perfection. So I, I hid from vulnerability in business because I felt it was a massive, massive weakness. And I felt that everybody was going to pounce on me and steal everything from me and realize that I, was, I didn't know it all right? And all that did was drive me into a massive depression and feeling less than, right? And so learning to say, you know what, like, I don't have it figured it out. I figured it out. And I'm doing the best I can right now with the knowledge I have. And I'm going to try to go find people that know more than me to help me. And when I try, it may not be perfect, right? I, I might, I might still falter, I still might screw things up but I promise that I'm trying and I'm not going to dig my heels in and say that like my way is the right way. It's, this is what I'm going to try. I hope it works, (laughs) but please give me some feedback if I can do it better. Right. Um, So I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting question. I think it's something that, you know, um, where you are in life and where you are in business because you know, there's this—the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s, and the 50s, right? And each one of those decades, I think we're different people, thankfully, and uh, coming to that realization that vulnerability can be a superpower um, is, is beautiful.
0: Mm, yeah, it is beautiful, and also very painful—super uh-huh. <laughs> painful, right? Yeah. yeah. It, my my take on you, and I, I've only spoken to you once before, and then I've listened to you, and uh, I even attended uh, one of your talks. And something that I've kind of gathered is that you are somebody who's willing to grind and do hard work, but you're also highly intuitive. And this has maybe not been the case uh, your whole life, but uh, it, it seems like you you've had that as as a core part of developing your business. When is there a time to be intuitive and when is the appropriate time to be practical and just doing hard work? Do you have a sense of when that is? Is it, is it a little bit of both? Is it um, playing it by ear or shall we be intuitive first when it comes to business development, brand development?
1: Um, Oh gosh. Interesting. Um, I don't know that, I've ever separated the two. It's just who I am, I suppose. I think the difference is uh, acknowledging where some of the pain I was causing in my life as a business owner and um, what, what that stemmed from and how that was, where that didn't fit in business, right? Where then I had to go kind of deal with that sort of thing. An example would be like, You know, yeah, you're right. I've always, I've been an entrepreneur since I was seven years old. I have been trying to figure out how to make money and start businesses literally from that age, from like creating, like my whole family lived on one road and I would create these flyers of like, I can weed for you. I can clean your bathrooms. I could do, I was always a hustler, like trying to make money. Um, And I've always been, I've always felt deeply and always was trying to figure out what problem I could solve, right? Um, and, but what I realized in business was one of the ways I was reacting in business came from wounds from childhood. So that's kind of, you know, part of that, what I was saying about the thirties, forties and fifties, like when you start realizing what doesn't belong, um, and what needs to be dealt with. Um, and so I think intuitively. There was, there was something I wanted to do. The hard work made me want to go do it. But I really had to examine what the core root of that why was and also why I would react the way I would if it didn't work out. Um, mm-hmm. And and that was kind of looking back at like what was going on deeply within me that was causing that sort of reaction or pain point in my life or also the flip side the success, right? Like why was I driven so much to to be successful and to make money? And that also came from childhood stuff as well. So but I think that comes with age. Um and being wise enough to reflect upon that. Um and, and I and that was that's a that's a game changer. But I think working hard and being driven, that's just something that was I've just always been a worker. I, you know, and, and I think Mm -hmm. intuitively starting Mosaic, um, my sports management company, to me, that was really, what are all the things I love, which I love sales and marketing and PR and, 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 you know, sports. And so it's like, well, what could I do that I get to combine all that? I was like, oh, well, sports agent gets to do all that. So, you know, that, that was more the intuitive and, and then thinking about, um, you know, I mean, what drove me there was helping people achieve their dreams. Like that was all I was focused on in doing that. It wasn't about nailing the biggest deal. It was, it was helping people achieve their dreams. And, and that's the same goes from my consulting company too.
0: hmm Yeah. It sounds like it, intuition helps you make decisions. And the more you experience, uh, the more you can inform those decisions. And then being a hard worker or a grinder is that which allows you to get things done. And then you also want to uh, make money. You want to make something viable or profitable. And that's something that I assume it took a while to learn. And you, you were talking about Mosaic, which I believe you founded in 1999. And I think you sold yeah. around 2015 or 16. Yeah, mm-hmm uh to octagon uh we can talk about that uh, i'm curious now just in terms of uh, making money and specifically let's let's just take it back to your agent days and athletes and we can talk about them in, in action sports but i i think there's transferability here H- how does a, a an athlete make money what are the main revenue streams
1: mm, it's changed um you know being a professional athlete it's up op- how revenue happens now is a little bit different than when I was in the game. But ideally it was, you know, back in action sports, it was, you know, you would get sponsored by a company like a Quicksilver or Burton snowboards. They would pay you a salary and then, you know, I'd be pitching athletes, you know, for sponsorship. And then that obviously, you know, in my, my mind, and in the world world of sports marketing, it evolves, right? So you have like your sponsorship dollars, And then, um, you know, I would always look at athletes and be like, what can I build with them? So can we build an event property around them? Can we build an entertainment property around them? Are they entrepreneurial? Can we, you know, build a company with them? Um, So I was always looking for creating various revenue streams for athletes. Nowadays, you have other opportunities with social media and being an influencer, um, that opens up more doors for sponsorship and puts more control kind of in the athletes' hands. Same with name and likeness um, for more stick and ball sports. Um, that's another opportunity that didn't exist when I was in the game. So I think th- those are a few more ways that have you know evolved and changed, which is lovely for the athletes. Um I think back then, the brands made you stars, and now athletes have to make themselves stars first. In order to get the brand. So that's why, you know, building a, a strong athlete brand, just like for a company, building a strong brand that people want to buy into and can relate to, um, and then amplifying that not only through social, but also, like I said, you have to walk that walk, how you treat people in, in real life, um, you know, that's going to help you make the money.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the audience is closer to the talent than ever. And the talent, let's say it's the athlete, creator, mm-hmm. influencer, business even, yeah. um, is is the one that is on the uh, – rec- it's the front line basically for where the deals come through, which I, I assume has changed a little bit um, in the past, the agent – would bring the deals or have a Rolodex yeah. of companies. And you just be like, this is the value that I bring, uh, which which you, of course, had to build from scratch. But you you had an in and we can talk about the in and you've talked about in previous podcasts uh, at nauseum. So I, I don't want to <laughs> have you have to tell that story again. But what I'm what I'm curious about when it comes to brand building and then becoming a business um, and starting to make money as an athlete, creator person, what are the main pitfalls that you've seen in your career and challenges that athletes have had to overcome or didn't overcome?
1: Gosh, uh, there's so there's so many. Um, There's so many. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things in dealing with action sports is you're dealing with really young people. Um, And this was always like, what, why I took it so serious with my clients is that, you think about the age of an action sports athlete like they're being the talents being spotted when they're like 12 13 14 years old so if you think about a, a normal kid right we go through all these rites of passage of going to middle school high school potentially college entering the workforce right so you go through all these firsts and like kind of being the newbie right but you're not alone in it you're doing it with you know your your peers right so what happens with athletes is that here they are, they're plucked from these young ages and they're doing a sport really well. And all of a sudden, all these adults are around them telling them how amazing they are, right? You're the best and we're going to throw money at you or we're going to put you in ads and take you on these boat trips. So they're not even emotionally developed and they're being, they're equating, so they're starting to equate self-worth with outcomes in sport, right? Right? So I talk about this a lot where, you know, this this thing happens with athletes where they're competing to win in the beginning, where it's like they want that first contest win, they want that first title, they want that first X Games gold, whatever it is. And then it flips and it goes from, you know, competing to win to competing not to lose. And what happens when you start competing not to lose, you start comp- competing And I say competing, it could be a film or it could be whatever, but it's like, so you don't lose the sponsors. You don't lose like the approval and the accolades because they don't have anything else in their life as kind of, or not a lot of stuff in their life to have these other buckets of that are filling up their identity and building their confidence, right? And they're young. So we go through taking these kids and that's why the people that surround them are really important. So you start taking these kids, and they're middle school age and high school age, and if they're lucky, and you know they have a good team and they've built success and um, they're making decent money and they're you know working with that money and being smart about it, then you know if they come out of the game in their late twenties, they have some skill sets and some tools and some financial backing, but the majority don't. Like the, the well has dried up so much that we see these kids and these parents that are. You know, really pushing their kids to be these action sports stars. And there's not the money that used to be in it. Um you know, and so what happens is we're depriving them from all these firsts and being with their peer group. then the companies are done with them, right? Like it, you know, all these team managers and marketing directors come in and they're their very best friends when they're winning, and there's something hot. And then as that all goes away, these kids are left high and dry. And the only skill set that they have is, Either surfing heats or, you know, dropping into the pipe or whatever it is, and maybe giving feedback on color waves and telling someone how they want a product design. And then they're supposed to go get a job when they've never even gone to college or they've never even had a real job or entered a workforce. And we're seeing so many kids paralyzed, you know, rightfully so. And so I think that that is number one, what I see as being really, really hard, um, to bear witness to. And that's where I think that it really relies on the agents and the team around these kids to really make sure that they're developing life skills that are transferable that they can use um, in in the real world. Because even my athletes that were the top of the game, a few of them had career-ending injuries, and they were lucky that they made the money they did, and they had the families that were smart with the money that helped them parlay that that's not always the case and you know so i think that's a big thing i think the other thing is that these these sports have gotten so dangerous you know the, the level level so high now um and like i said about career-ending injuries you know if there aren't insurances in place and disability insurances and life insurance policies you know once a kid gets injured these companies are like this You know maybe they'll keep them for a year out of like being kind but it's at the end of the day they're 1099 athletes they're not the responsibility of a company so i think that we really have to look for look out for the health of them and then like i said you know initially the mental health um and then there's the money right you get a ton of money as a young person and making sure that that's you know spent wisely or invested wisely i mean i've seen parents you know totally deplete the kids money um which is awful. And you try to create, you know, barriers around that or protect them, um, as much as you can. Um, I always say to the parents, I work for your child. I don't work for you. Uh, and that's not sometimes, sometimes that's not taken so well. So I think Mm. that those are some of the most common things that I see, um, that have to be, you know, having a good team around you that is able to that knows those pitfalls and can help protect a, a young child or, you know, a teenager around them.
0: Yeah, these, these are all really good points. And, and I was going to ask about uh, financial literacy eventually, but we can dive into it now in terms of financial literacy. um, You're not a financial advisor necessarily, but I'm sure you work with several of them. Where, where does one start when it comes to financial literacy? How do you think about this? I know one of the things that you've said in the past is with your athletes, you've said, okay, once you get that first, Check. Let's buy the thing that you want—the toy type thing, or or the house, or the car. Uh, but uh, in addition to that, which is like, hey, let's scratch the itch kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, what's the level-headed suizo approach to talking about money? <laughs>
1: <Sure>. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I did. Every time they got their first big check, I was like, go buy your toy. I don't care what it is. Just go get it because I just want to get this out of the way. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, with athletes, it was always looking at what was coming in every month, what each sponsor brought in and be like, okay, where again, I'm not a financial advisor, but I've worked with enough of them. Um, like, where, what do we want to turn this money into? And how do we take each sponsor's paycheck and make that money work for you? Um, the way that we did it at Mosaic was, I would bring in, I it was kind of like a buffet service where I would bring in three or four wealth managers that I knew and would introduce my clients and their families to. And so you don't have to work with any of them or you can work with one of them, but I want you to at least have the conversations. Um, so you can then, you know, make a choice. Right. So I think that these, like I said, these careers can be 10 years. They could be one year. Um, so it would be obviously starting, you know, I, I think like every every kid wants to have their own house and I don't think that's a dumb investment. Um, so, you know, whether it was buying a house and working towards that, whether it was setting up the retirement funds or the life insurance policies, things of that nature. I think, I think the other thing too, was that, you know, for the athletes that I saw that the parents felt that, that the parents did do a lot to get the kid to where they were. Um, if the parents felt that they needed to be paid back or supported um, making sure that the child or the athlete had set up some sort of um, entity, whether that was an LLC, an S Corp. And then if the parents, you know, wanted a paycheck, then that was through that uh, legal entity, not just the parent having access to pulling the money. Because um, I've seen what's happened with that. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't control that for every athlete. Um, it was just what I would try to suggest sometimes that worked sometimes that did not work. that was out of my hands. Um, but I think just making putting in the the smart uh, uh, kind of roadblocks in place or um, yeah, kind of just to make sure that the basics were covered get that house, set up the retirement funds, make sure that the insurance policies were in place, um, just kind of the one- on one and then making sure that they were introduced to, People, uh, wealth managers, and financial managers that could help guide them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think one of the surprises is, uh, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar check, and then all of a sudden, after everything that you, if you're if you're if you're well rounded and you've done everything, you're not left with that much. No, <laughs> so, so, not at all. So the numbers kind of lie. Um, how did you ha- did you have to have those conversations? was that something that you have to uh did you have to learn that in retrospect where you made some mistakes and you're like oh <laughs> i well, messed I mean, that one up or I, how, how I, did that happen I, for you i
1: still make mistakes i make mistakes every day but um no yeah i think that that yeah from early on it was i mean i was i was fortunate i was really fortunate the majority a lot of my parents of uh, the athletes i represented were good you know like they had solid foundations financially and and were hard workers like some of them were you know these blue collar workers that were very you know um smart so um but yeah it was it i think it was i think it came really from probably my first one of my first clients and i remember the dad wanted to charge them rent all of a sudden And I think that was like one of those things where I was like, what? Like your father wants to charge you rent? And I I couldn't understand it. Um, so I think that was kind of where it first started. Um, and then me gaining education of of, you know, how to how to protect kids or how what should be put in place. As because remember, when I started, I was only 25 and I did not have I didn't have a financial education from my parents. I didn't really have that. It was you work really hard, you save all your money, you know, you have a retirement fund and that's it. Like that was the gist of what I heard. Right. So, um, it was definitely a trial by fire, um, in learning these things and having smarter people around me, uh, that helped educate me. So then I was able to educate my athletes. Mm
0: -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so when, when uh, money comes in and, uh, you've organized it and everything is uh, buttoned up and now you have a little bit of money to invest in what's the main thing you believe athletes creators people who have a personal brand should be investing in
1: uh financially
0: yeah financially should be in skills should it be in assets okay
1: Okay. well i think you'd always be investing in skills that's i mean first and foremost like that's never gonna that's that will always pay dividends so a hundred percent with that. I mean, I think like the, you know, I can't really speak to, I think, you know, some people say, Oh, real estate's, you know, a solid investment and buy office buildings or whatever. Sure. Maybe. Um, I also know that real estate costs money to upkeep. So you got to have, you know, extra funds to be able to, you know, I, I don't think it's just this simple investment i think there has to be some you know some smarts behind that in terms of what you need to keep keep those properties going um so i think you have to have again knowledge um you know you can talk about index funds i i mean i'm not the person to say what to invest in but i think to your point like i think investing in your knowledge is probably one of the, the most important things staying forever curious surrounding yourself with smarter people. I think one thing that I see athletes, it's hard. Athletes are asked. There's a lot more asked of athletes where before it was very seasonal, where you would, you know, just do your snowboarding in the winter or do your surfing. And then the season would end. That's not the case anymore. These athletes are working year round. So, but finding the spaces in between where you could go do a mentorship and learn um from people whether that be if you're interested in real estate and that's what you want to invest in and get a mentor in that right um so i think that you know i'm definitely not the expert to say what to invest in but i think there are certain basics that you know owning a home or investing in knowledge is is always going to be smart
0: yeah Mm -hmm. so if we're investing in knowledge and developing skills what have you seen to be true From the time of working with athletes primarily to now consulting for small, medium, big businesses or executives within it, uh, what are the skills that are needed and required that you're like, oh, we keep coming back to this. This keeps being a bottleneck. You need to invest time or money and effort into this. What What are those
1: Well, I would say first and foremost, you know, mindset and ego would be your first two things that I would say study away because those (laughs) talk about bottlenecks, like those two things will just screw you every which way sideways if you don't get a firm grasp and understanding about how they play into how you live your life um, and overcome challenges or deal with successes, Um, you know, because I think, yeah, so that's, that's number one um then I think from there um you know having that beginner's mindset right I think because I think that ego does hold us back because we are afraid to not be good at things um out of the gate or not know so surrounding yourself with people that model that that are lifelong learners and are so open to not knowing um and having that curiosity um I was very fortunate early on to have People like for me the one of the biggest things in my career was I didn't come from a legal background, but I had two attorneys in my life that would took so much time with me and shared so much knowledge with me about contracts and understanding that, Um, and that was a game changer. Um, So I think that you know those sort of things are really important. I think that um, you know we we've seen it in the past years of like you know crypto craze or NFT craze or all these these trends, right? That people just jump in because it's going to be a quick thing. So I think um, having that research mindset of how much can I learn about this before I make a decision? Um, You know, I think that that was really funny. Like the other day I was on a business call and we're incubating a business idea. And I was with like two very tactile, tactile people. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do a SWOT analysis. And they were like, a what? And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> we're going to discover what the strengths, weaknesses opportunities and threats are as we pursue this business idea right um so having that sort of mindset uh as well um because i wasn't a strategy person i still struggle with the word strategy it makes me seize up right so being able to take time instead of diving into something um exploring really what the opportunity is that lies there so i think being curious i i think reading is huge, um, making, reading your best friend and research your best friend. Um, and I think removing that ego and being able to ask questions of, well, how does that work? Tell me more about that. Like exploring your curiosities. And I think trying things like not being paralyzed to attempt things, um, you know, I think is, is really great. And knowing, really knowing that more people are out there to help you than to hurt you. Um, Mm -hmm
0: you know is is key yeah that's a big one i think a lot of uh especially athletes that have been around for a while and maybe haven't broken through that glass ceiling they they're very guarded and yeah. um they feel like everybody is out to get them and i think this is where that mindset of uh being the the hunter and then becoming the hunted maybe applies to to those who are jaded that's right um yeah, so that's a, that's a that's a big one. I think mindset is is huge, and there's a million ways of uh, learning about mindset that are also free.
1: Yeah, hundred everything's free. I mean, that's yeah. the oh, thing. There you go. It, yeah, everything it's is all free. it's all free. Like and literally, it's absurd. I mean, I always make a joke that like if I could just have time to just sit and learn, like that's all I would do. Like I would just be a lifelong professional student because there's so much I want to learn um and i think removing that ego right like not it's okay to not know anything like it's totally okay um and i think like if you look at an athlete and look at who they're surrounded by like like if i think about some of my top clients like they were surrounded by you know the director of marketing at pepsi or or quicksilver or burton you're in front of cinematographers you're in front of like major commercial directors you're in front of Product developers, like you can learn about any type of career you possibly want to learn about. It's right there. You just have to take the initiative to say, hey, can I do, I have a week off. Can I come shadow you? Right? Like, can I learn? It's all right there. But I don't think that we're teaching athletes how to do that and saying that it's cool to actually do that versus, you know, or if they want to learn sports management, come sit in the office. Like, I would always say to athletes, like, it's it's so funny to me because, you know, how many times I got a call from an athlete that's like, well, so-and-so said they can get me this and they could do this for me, right? So, like, I'm going to leave you and go to this agency. And I was always like, please come sit in my office for a week, just one week, and see what see what we do trying to get you deals and trying to make things happen for you, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's a that's a (laughs) that's a huge one, which which, uh, you know, we can take this in so many directions, but I'm I'm glad to bring this up because no, because being marketable is is a big one. And uh, I think a lot of athletes especially think that if I get an agent, um, then then I made it. It's like, uh, you know how hard it is to sell you when when you're behaving in these ways. Uh, It's tricky. Yeah. Tricky. Right. Yeah. Uh, Which which. Makes sense that uh, one can get pretty tired uh, from being an agent and exhausted. Um, yeah, marketability. What is it that gets someone, and this is athlete, person, sure. from your vantage point, what gets people a seat at the table?
1: Yeah, Um. great question. What gets people a seat at the table? Well, with an athlete, right? So yeah, there has to be a level of talent, obviously. Um, there has to be a skill set there. Um, there has to be, you know, when I was talking, we were interviewing once, uh Mark Heitzinger from Mountain Dew and, and we were talking about what, why, how Mountain Dew would choose an athlete to work with because they have a very small roster of athletes. And they said, we really look at someone that we can bring in a room with all the corporate executives, for Pepsi, and could like, has a personality and would we'll be able to talk to them. And I think that was a, a very, eloquent perfect answer right you have to have a certain sort of communication skill um being personable and you know someone that people want to have around todd richards in our in our sports management mastermind class said he said be the athlete that people want to invite on a six-hour road trip and it was so perfect right like it's someone who's helpful and solution focused and funny and personable right that isn't like oh no i'm not getting out and pumping the gas are you kidding me that's below me like nobody wants to work with that person. Um I also think like we touched on earlier it's having a story. It, you know Danny Davis was a he was he was unbelievable in that way like even before he ever started really succeeding. I mean when we told Danny's story early on that he would knit beanies to raise money to go to his first snowboarding contest people were like what? You know um it was very relatable, you know, coming from Michigan and and two hardworking parents, um, and also how Danny made people feel when he was in their presence. He made everyone feel special, um, you know. So that was something that was really important. I think also to people that come back from hard things, you know, we all have something we're carrying. We're all going through something at some point. So I think when people can see themselves in an athlete, um, an athlete story. I think that's that's magic there too um, as well. So I think those are really strong things. But again, the other magic of a brand and what makes a brand so attractive is weaving that through everything, right? So having those opportunities or creating those opportunities to weave all of those those brand messages consistently through everything and then also having a brand that walks that walk in person too because you could you you can I could tell you stories of athletes that would put out a brand and yeah they would weave it through everything but you got them in a room in person and they were jerks right like they were just too cool for school so I think that sooner or later you know you're going to get that reputation and and then people say okay yeah we know we know what we're sponsoring we're going to sponsor that we get to sell this but we can only ask that athlete to show up twice a year because they're they're just not going to do it right so that's on the athlete side i think brand side too um you could sell all day long that you're you know this sort of brand or that sort of brand but if i get on the phone with your customer service and they're jerks like that's not weaving it through right or if the people in your shop selling your product your salespeople aren't you know living the brand either the ethos then you know again that just dings it so i I really think that that's important Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's that's big uh care yeah a, a strong character i don't know if it was danny uh that you mentioned in 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 some of your stories when you were were diagnosed with cancer um i believe you went to speak to him and his parents or his mother was, was that him and and you said i i would understand if you were to leave uh at this time when i'm going through this but uh they decided to stick with you was that danny
1: it was it was danny and his mom yeah yeah
0: yeah i i believe that that is that is a, a great demonstration of somebody who's who's not only loyal but has this um a belief in in a relationship and that's uh, more than business um
1: yeah there were is, there yeah sorry there were a yeah, lot of... is,
0: is, yeah I'm, I'm just curious if, if that is something that is also uh important when it comes to relationship with bigger organizations or bigger companies or should we think about it more as we're a number we're a marketing asset we're here to sell more cans we're here to sell more attention uh, yeah how should we how should we navigate that as athletes
1: yeah, I think it, it's a really interesting question because, um, you know, I do think there's a certain point of like, as long as you're serving someone, you know, I, a couple, I think relationships, some relationships have their time in the sun and then they go away, right? And that's been a hard lesson for me to learn because there's some athletes that I thought I would have in my life forever and I'm no longer in touch with. Um, and that hurts me personally a lot because I'm, I'm just like, I'm just one of those people that I, I'm, I miss some of those people. Um, and the relationships have gone out into the, the sunset. Um, I think that athletes sometimes you have to be really careful with brands. And I always say this right out of the get-go with athletes that you're going to meet a team manager and they're going to be your very best friend and you're going to love them. But that's not the reason to sign with the company. Because a couple of reasons like you're winning, you're amazing, everybody loves you, he's your best friend, he's gonna buy you, you know, this and take you on trips, and that's amazing. And I want you to have those experiences, but um, at the end of the day, you're a product and you have to deliver. Um, also, the other part of it is that people change positions. So if the, if the team manager leaves or the marketing director leaves, you're still there, right? Um, and I see athletes, I saw athletes get hurt by this a lot how they thought this person was their friend you know um and uh you know they were doing a job and there's a thing called marketing budget so I think it's really important to educate athletes and their families on how this really works so there is an emotional awareness um as they go into this because they are so young um doing that sort of thing so yeah I think that that's probably been one of the hardest
0: lessons for me um you know, is that personal relationship um, and how much it can hurt. I think you said in the past, you said um, that the criteria you follow for um, developing business relationships with companies is you you either pick the best best company, the one that raises your profile or your brand, or the one that aligns with your passion and purpose. Um, Is it possible to get all three of those or do you have to pick and choose?
1: No, no, no. It was actually a checklist that I would look for. So it was, it was, you know, it, yeah, are they going to pay you money? Like, this was kind of like a lot of deals would always come our way for athletes. And so it was like the, the three things that I would always look for, it's, you know, is it money, right? Are they going to pay you the money you deserve? Is it going to raise your profile? And is it a product that you love and you're passionate about? Because sometimes we would just do deals because the athlete absolutely just loved the product. They didn't care about the money or if it was going to raise their profile they just really were passionate about it and that was good enough for me like if that's what the athlete was passionate about and wanted cool um so those were kind of the the things and i think that all three absolutely can live uh together and can live separately and and that's okay too uh, i think at the end of the day like you just really have to be okay with being attached to this brand, how this brand will want to you utilize your your like your name and likeness and your profile um and the people, right? So I think as you as you built a stronger brand and you became a bigger athlete, you know, you really had to police that and make sure that it was really in alignment for you because your spread's so thin. So you want to make sure that the people that you're partnering with really check all three of those boxes because you're so tired, you know, you're trying to train to, you know, do well in your sport. Whoops. Sorry. Losing a
0: earbud. Airpod.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, you're spread so thin as an athlete where it's like, you're trying to train to do well in your sport. Um, You know, and then you have these appearances and and all this stuff. So, you know, you have to make sure that you are 100% on board with what you're signing up for. I think that's, you know, a, a big part of the education for athletes is it's not just you get a check, right? It, there's, it's goes both you're ways. You're working for this company. You're working and, and Yeah, yeah. you're
0: contracted to work for this company. You're that, not just going right. to, uh, yeah, lay back and, and that, see the money.
1: That's right. Come in. And that was a beating. What- that, that was a huge beating as an agent. And part of the reason, where it really grated on me at the end, where I would have athletes, you know, bitching and moaning of, I don't want to do this. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And then the, the brands being like, well, we need them there. And, and I'm in the middle and I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like you're getting paid multi-millions of dollars and you don't want to go do this. And I got to listen to you. And then I got the brand yelling at me and I'm defending both parties to each other. And I was like, this is, this is just dumb
0: hmm. Yeah, and I guess that's where you have to default to. This is what the contract says. Everybody just do this. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think uh, and, and I know that you're not an agent anymore, but do yeah. you think the world of being a sports agent is um, taking a turn where I, I believe this is part of what you're also doing right now? But um, uh, so I'm just going to say it and then sure. we'll see where, where, where it goes. But do you think agents are 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 going to be uh, obsolete um, soon because because athletes at this point, I I believe they're solopreneurs. So they're a business of one with the potential of becoming a business of many that they should be the agent. And then the agents should be like um, almost like a venture group that comes in and is a co-operator of their business in a way. Is that wow, is that where we're trending?
1: um. Hmm.
0: Or did I just make that up?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I think some athletes have that opportunity, not all, only because some athletes are total shit shows and they don't have the business savvy. So, you know, the amount of conversations that would go on to execute a commercial shoot for an athlete and how much we would go back and forth over creative and direction before I would ever bring it to the athlete, right? Like, so there's a lot, like I was saying earlier on, about how much happens. So how can an athlete deal with all of that and try to be getting ready to compete in Olympic trials, right? So I I think it really depends. Um, I think it really depends. And I think, again, not every one of my athletes were these amazing, had an entrepreneurial mindset, right? That could handle it or had parents that could handle it. Um, So it's really dependent. I do think that there's more opportunities uh, for athletes to build, you know, uh, enterprise. Um, But again, that comes back with gaining some knowledge, but you have to be interested in it. Some athletes Mm -hmm. just don't, aren't interested, right? So they need people to handle it. Um, But I think regardless whether you're interested or not, it's your business. So you need to know what the hell is going on and why it's going on and how it affects you. So I think that 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 never changes. I think an athlete and their family absolutely needs to be, you know, dotting their I's and crossing their T's because you hear the horror story. Not that I've heard the horror stories of agents ever stealing money or any of that, but um, you hear business managers or you know wealth managers but i think too you have to you got to hold your agent i think it's healthy to have quarterly if not biannual meanings of like these are the brands you know we went after this is why this worked this is why this didn't work this is what we can do better um you know so you understand the business of you and what's happening um but agents don't have this magic rolodex they might have more contacts, but it's not this magic thing. We have to hustle just as hard as the athlete is hustling. Um so you definitely want to make sure that you're in alignment, you align yourself with someone, you know, that has that hustle. It's not enough that they represent Travis Rice or, you know, whatever star athlete de jour it is and you get to join that same person. Sure. That affords them a lot of a lot of contacts, but they still have to be selling you somebody who hasn't yet made it. So is it that you're just getting, you know, pass through deals? Well, that's cool. But what happens when you have a few bad years? Like, I think that the one thing I had was that ability to create a brand and see what the brand could be. Like my surfer, Sophia, was the perfect example of that. Like she was a girl from Peru, you know? And so being able to say, oh my God, your story is bigger than you just winning. Like we have to do this, this, create this, 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 and this, and like, she was, she didn't want any of it. I had to convince her of everything. And then as it happened, she was like, oh, I get it, you know? Um, and it worked out really well for her. But mm-hmm. I think that the- Yeah, agent...
0: hard to see the forest for the trees when you're in that situation. Totally. totally. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think agents bring a certain level of education and, and and do a lot of behind the scenes. But I do think early on, if you've got an attorney that could help you with contracts, um, you know, you could do that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and this is not uh, advice for anybody out there, but something that I've been doing that has been really uh, helpful this year is when very uh, complicated contracts have been coming my way before even sending it to my lawyer, what I've done is I've used ChatGPT to translate each point, great, and then me be able to ask questions on the contract, and then saying, "Can you translate this into legal terms?" and then being able to communicate more effectively with my I lawyer, and then that. saving myself a few hours <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of paying you know two thousand bucks for four hours. Now I'm paying one hour, uh, five hundred or whatever. Yeah. Uh,
1: That's so, awesome. Yeah,
0: maybe ChatGPT should be on your team too, uh, but but carefully. Um, Okay. So let's talk really quickly about, you've you've addressed this uh, before too, which is there's a difference between working in a business versus on a business, right? For an athlete, they have to become a business if they want to do the thing at the highest level. But there are times where, let's say you're trying to qualify for the Olympics, uh, get to the exams, whatever it may be, where you have to work in the business. You just have to be focused on your craft. And in order for the business to continue to function, there has to be somebody working on the business, which you could, of course, collaborate uh, with. But your focus is is to qualify for uh, whatever your event is. When working on the business and building, let's say we're building a team, who are the key players each um, athlete, creator, influencer, person of one who's doing business should have on their team or on their board, so to speak? Sure.
1: Well, I'm always going to say a lawyer and an accountant. (laughs) 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 I'm going to say that ran out of the gate. Um, yeah, you're working really hard. You need those two people in place to protect you. Um, and then I think that obviously, I mean, I'm just a big proponent of, of, of the whole coach, sports psychologist trainer thing, because, um, being an athlete, you're always having to evolve yourself, right? It's, it's, you can't just ride on one season and have, be good enough. Like, forget it. Like there's always someone chomping at your heels. Um, so I think that that's really important as a part of a team, um, investing in your body and your mind, um, and your emotional health is I think really, really important. Um, and then depending on the level, obviously like having an agent that's looking out for you, um and helping you to build your brand manage your deals and keep people away right because i felt like that was a big part of what i had to do at certain times where i would you know in these contracts there were certain amount of appearances built in you know you're getting paid multi-million dollars in deals these brands want you and they want you at the time that the olympic qualifiers are going on right because so it's it's having someone that's kind of looking at the the calendar and saying, you know what? You can't touch him at this time. He's training, he's focusing, we're not doing anything, right? So running interference and protecting the athlete. So having that person that's well aware of what the obligations are and how to protect you so you can work on your business or in your business, right? Um, And then I think the other thing I think is really important is your friends and your family and who you're surrounding yourself with because I think having people who love you for you, regardless of what you do for a living, um, in a safe place to go home to, um, and just be who you are, not be a pro athlete or any of that nonsense. Um, I think that's really, really important. You've got to have the people that help ground you and help you feel safe, um, and love no matter what. So, you know yeah sure if you're at a high level having publicists and all that stuff yeah sure um but i think that that's really those are key people in your life that you need to have
0: mm-hmm yeah that's big yeah there's a lot there i i i see the sports agent as an agent of course uh, a manager but also mm-hmm. a coach and counsel and yep. um i think investing in that is 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 a big one so i'm i'm with yeah. you on that
1: and i think yeah listen i mean content is everything these days and so i mean i remember we were at the crossroads where i kept i started building in media budgets because i was like my athlete is not responsible for taking pictures of themselves and videos and posting i go that's not their job it's not like their job you're sponsoring them because they're number one, and you want them to win, and yada, yada, yada. So if you want the content, then you got to pay X amount of money for the media team that we have traveling with them to do all this shit for you, because that is that is so much work, as you know, and I think companies just expect it, which is fine, but that's not an athlete's job. That's part of the athlete's team that we put together or help them put together, right? Right? that travels with them and does all that stuff. But Mm -hmm. the minute that that athlete stops winning or stops doing their job, everyone gets all up in arms about it. And you're like, well, that's because they've been pulled away from doing why you paid them in the first place. So, you know, that's why that has to be
0: protected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's also a big one. One of the ways that I've been navigating that is by having this hierarchy, which is content network economy. So, if if the brand wants to work with an athlete uh let's make sure that content is being created without the athlete having to do more so let's let's use your machine uh which is is not new but it's important especially when people are looking for UGC so user um, generated content it's a big one then network it's it's having access to these experts or even to other athletes for collaboration and then finally economy which is the the exchange of uh finances And I think when you can organize that that way, it helps uh, structure these deals. And so there's a better flow for the the talent. Do you agree with that? Or does that resonate with you?
1: No, it it totally does. But it goes back again to the brand, right? Because what happens is, and you might have dealt with this as well, where it's like, all of a sudden start getting these kooky requests, right? Like you're creating content. And they're like, well, we really want you to hold up the can and take a swig of it. And it's like, no, get it. sponsor this person because that's what they did, right? So we need to protect the brand of how they are, why people like them in the first place. So this is the type of con- content we create. This is the type of content we don't create, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like having that athlete brand book of this is who they are, this is who they aren't. So I don't care how big your check is, you either got to sign up for this or we can't do this. I cannot begin to tell you the amount of back and forth I've gone through trying to protect an athlete's brand. Um, Because it's, it's, you know, the being in control of your brand and how it's put out there. um, Especially as the deals come in that are so large, um, the job, it gets tougher. tougher. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Brand integrity. That is huge. And I think that, kind of is at the core of everything that yeah. we're, we're talking about, where there's business development around that. There's personal yeah. development around that. Yeah. So that's that's huge. Uh, to, to bring this to uh, slowly uh, a close, I- I'm curious, when you sold Mosaic, what were the things that you learned about yourself and about your business that you wish you had known before <laughs> going through the process of
1: selling?
0: <laughs> because selling a business takes a lot of work.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. Um... Honestly, it, it's, I think about it, I don't think about it a lot, but I do think about it. Um, I was really burnt out. I've been through a lot, uh, personally, and the idea of continuing, just, I didn't have it in me anymore. I wasn't passionate about it anymore. Like I said, like when I was telling you about the, you know, defending the athlete to the brand and defending the brand of the athlete, like I just stopped caring. Um, and so I probably should have sold earlier than I did. Um, and going through that process was really, it was like an opportunity. Octagon needed a surf program and we had a pretty strong surf program. And, um, you know, it just, and I, I really adored Peter Carlisle. He'd been a longtime friend. And so it just kind of made sense. Um, for me, I think about if I've, if I could have gone back five years before the sale of that, um, if I had maybe some better people around me to help me think differently about how to evolve the business, um, you know, maybe that would have made a difference, but I really think it was more personal than it was about the business. Um, I was just really not in a good place in my life. Um, And so Going through that time, you know, when someone buys you, they're not buying your business. They're buying the the athlete contracts, really, right? Because they already have their systems and processes in place of how they run their organization. It's the value of the contracts. And I had an opportunity to merge with Octagon in 2009, but I was like, no, I, you know, and I had a banger roster. Like, I was... I couldn't have been any higher than I was at that point in time going into Vancouver Olympics. You know, I just really had like the roster. Um, And I, my ego got in the way and I was like, I could do this on my own and I didn't do the deal. And all of a sudden Kevin Pierce, you know, has a career ending injury. Danny smashes an ATV into a a cattle fence, you know, Um, you know, and, and this, Big high I was on being featured in Sports Business Journal, like the whole thing, like it literally went up in smoke within 17 days, the whole thing. And I had an opportunity that I probably would have made a lot more money if I had done that back then. So when I sold in 16, it was a lot because of burnout. Um, and I think that uh, going through that, like what I would do differently. Like I said, I probably wish I had done it in a different emotional state. You know, I was more, I was more burnt. Um, but I was also done. I was really done at that time. So I, there's really no, like, for regret. It just, it mm-hmm. I couldn't have, I could not have imagined that career. I wasn't raised to be a sports agent. It wasn't a plan. It happened. And I couldn't have had the highest of highs I had with that career and the lowest of lows within that career. And I'm very grateful for that, for all of it and all the people that it brought in my life. And I'm really grateful to be able to look back and say, wow, what I, I built from nothing. Um, But also to learn so much about the person that I was um, and who I wanted to become and have opportunity to grow into that person. So if I were to be an agent again today and start it all over, it would be so different. It would be so different. I mean, the, the the heart and the passion, how I operate, hard worker and intuition, that would still be there. But the emotional intelligence and the ego part is radically different from when I was when I was 25 to, you know, 30 something. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, that totally...
0: Totally does. Totally does. I mean, you, you've you talked about uh, having this code of honor that potentially like g- killed you where you, you had to develop this persona to get you through this. And you also had this mindset of I'll be happy when. And I, I guess that that has has shifted. I'm curious to know. Um, uh, and anybody who's interested in and in, in listening to you talk about how you've grappled with depression, yeah. suicidal ideation, and then going through cancer and recovering from cancer, how that has uh, kind of set you up for what you're doing today, and, and and what are the what are the lessons that take homes um, from navigating all of that?
1: Oof, God, yeah, um, yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been a lot depression is one of those tricky things right it started young in my life um very young um and i think it's something that'll it'll always unfortunately be a part of who i am right and i always talk about i get these these moments or these spaces in between right where life is good and i'm high functioning and everything's going but you know there is something that lives within me that's like fuck you know i hate hearing you and you know but i'm so armed with the tools to handle it. And that's, you know, what I learned through, you know, um, you know, attempting suicide, doing an outpatient treatment program, then a few years later checking myself to an inpatient, you know, uh program because I was and you know, I was totally successful and everything was fine in in my business world, but I just couldn't deal with it. It let us living two different lives. Like I'm a high functioning you know, when my depression hits, I'm very high functioning where I could be building a business and working hard, but I'm still plotting like how to die. Right. And so understanding where those voices are coming from and what the triggers are and then what tools I need to pick up to do the work to temper that. Um, it's not ha- It doesn't happen every day. It's not, I don't live like that, but like it, you know, can come up sometimes. Um, so I feel way more armed in, in, in all of that. So I think it's the awareness and raising the red flag. Like I'm so not afraid that if I'm struggling to whether it's calling the therapist or whatever the tool is that I need, you know, I know what I need to do on a daily basis to stay healthy and be in and operate at the best level. Right. And then when I, and I know when I'm not doing the work, when I start sensing like triggers, like, I'm like, Oh, that's because I haven't been to the gym or I haven't been journaling or I haven't seen my therapist. Right. Um, or I'm not filling my cup with more joy. I'm too, I'm working all the time. Right. And so it's like, that's, that's where I'm like, okay, pause button time to take care of myself here. Um, you know, what cancer taught me, I was, and and this was a part of like my downfall in business, early on was I felt like I had to do it all myself I had to prove that I could do it all myself right and it was this like never mind I got it like even people helping me with luggage at the airport I wouldn't let them you know it was like no I got it I got it you know, I'm going to prove to everybody that I can do it and when you get cancer you know you're you're kind of on your knees <laughs> mm. and my family all lives on the East Coast I live in California and so I had to let people help me Um, and I had to let my body just be sick. There wasn't powering through that. So again, allowing people to help and being vulnerable and letting vulnerability be okay and good and fine um, and actually learning, you know, to put myself above everybody and everything else you know that was a massive lesson i didn't do that when i was a sports agent i can't tell you how important danny davis's happiness and success meant over mine it was stupid it was plain stupid how much every all my athletes' happiness meant over mine and that was the hardest lesson i learned and i think i paid the ultimate price i don't blame my athletes for getting for me getting cancer that's not it at all You know, I blame how I lived my life, you know, um, for getting cancer because I don't, there wasn't any family history of it, but it was the amount of stress that I created for myself because of a job that I felt I had to operate in a certain way in order to succeed and and to stay in the game and and not be vulnerable. Because God forbid I was vulnerable, you know, I'd lose my athletes, you know. Mm -hmm. um so i don't i don't operate that way anymore you know it it, it comes i have to take i have to put myself first it is so stupid that stupid 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 airline thing about putting on your own oxygen mask about before you do anyone else but it's true it's flat out true and so i live my life with my ox putting my oxygen mask on first and then i'm able to help everybody else and i love helping other people that's Mm -hmm. that's who i am
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's hard to know how, how do you even put on the mask. How yeah. do I even know that I need the mask? It seems like you are doing this a little bit um, uh, in 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 a a parallel way right now uh, with your relationship with horses. So, are do you, do you consider yourself an equestrian? Are, are you the, no, are you I'm, an no. <laughs> okay. I'm not.
1: an equestrian. No, I've only ridden. I've only ridden a horse. I took lessons for like one year. Um, no, but I volunteered at a horse rescue for the past six years. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm a horse lover. I think it's more of an energetic thing more than anything. I think when I got around horses, it was something and my blood pressure just dropped, right? And there's, they're energy animals. And so as much as I thought that I was volunteering at a horse rescue to help horses, they fully rescued me. And then that became you know, a massive obsession of mine um, in terms of learning about them and understanding you know, their coherence and their energy fields. And and I think I saw so much of myself in these animals because they were neglected, abused, they were hurting. And I showed up at this rescue after, you know, selling Mosaic and coming out of cancer and, you know, all the depression stuff. And so I really identified with these animals that were trying to learn to trust and love and heal. Um, and so that's kind of where it all started. And then, um, like, you know, me being me, I had to learn everything I could about them and, you know, bodhi and, yeah. <laughs> and so this past year I got, um, certified in equine assisted learning, which is, you know, running, uh, workshops, whether it be corporate or personal development or youth, um, between horses and humans and also mindfulness and meditation with horses and humans. Um, which is amazing. It's amazing to watch what a horse does when you put it in an arena with a bunch of humans that are going through a whole bunch of whole slew of things, and who the horses go to and how they react and how the humans react. I mean, you're really humbled when you're in in the presence of an 1,100 pound animal. Um, you know, so it's it's pretty cool.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. So uh, it's it's fascinating to hear um, the complete picture of who who you are not only as a professional but as an individual and what you've done i'm curious uh i i and i I assume everybody listening now is curious to know uh, how do i get to work with you how can people work with you what's coming up for you that uh, we should know about so uh, we could potentially engage in that
1: yeah so i i work in two different three different capacities so i have my coaching and consulting business where i work with you know business owners entrepreneurs people in the workplace um, and that's like business growth coaching and consulting. So helping you, whether it's growing your business through marketing, brand positioning, um, like leadership too, right? Because I really understand what it's like to have a, an office full of employees and, and want to understand how to create a healthy work environment um, and how to stay sane. I always make a joke that like I'd be rocking back and forth under my desk every quarter wondering how I was going to pull it off. So, um, that's how I work with business owners and, uh, entrepreneurs and then people in business. Like I just, I understand what it's like to want to continue to evolve and grow and climb and, and do all those things and level up. And so, you know, just being a resource on how to do that. Um, so that's Sue is O like business coaching and consulting, and you could just go to Sue is O.com or email me at Sue at Sue is o. And then I started, um, on the sports side after leaving sports management um, started the sports management mastermind, which is a athlete education company for action sports athletes and their families. And that's pretty much peeling, you know, kind of pulling the curtain away to show parents and up and coming athletes, like what it really takes to go pro and to build their career in action sports. And so that's something I'm very, it's more of a passion project than a profit project. Um, But Uh, myself, Cersei Wallace, and Todd Richards, uh, we join forces in doing that. So we offer a four-week virtual class. It's live for parents and athletes. And we do that about three times a year. We'll be launching that again at the end of October, beginning of November. So you can go to sportsmanagementmastermind.com to find that or follow us on Instagram at sportsmanagementmastermind. And we also just recently launched workshops for um acad ski, snowboard academies, clubs, and for action sports brands. So we come in and, and work with their with their athletes and just run these sixty, ninety minute workshops. Cause at the end of the day, we want to build help contribute to building athletes that are healthy and also understand what it takes, right? So it's a win win for everybody.
0: Mm, fantastic. So what's one tool uh we could use every day to uh stay in a, in a mental state that allows us to perform us at, at the highest level, but also feel, uh, at ease while in those situations.
1: One tool, um, well, invest in your mindset, um, work on your gratitude, right? Um, understand your ego, why you do what you do, how that helps you and how that hurts you. um, so those would be like the area, and the tools that I think that everyone needs to work on growth mindset versus fixed mindset. That's, that's one I I go back to all the time. Carol Dweck is kind of the, the grand godmother of it all, but there's even more behind that too. So I think that understanding where you operate in a fixed mindset and where, and how you can evolve that to a growth mindset. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest skill sets and tools that you can use to help yourself. In business and in life and just as a human being.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Sue. This has been great. Thank you for being so generous with your time. And I hope everybody listening uh, got as much as I did out of this conversation. And uh, yeah, go check Sue Izzo out. I'll leave all the notes uh, in the description. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to do this in the future again.
1: I hope so. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.